recorded live. Welcome to Fragments of Silicon's approximately annual E3 edition. Glad we have music this week. Uh, more on that a little later. Anyway, uh, so welcome to our E3, but not E3 edition of Fragments of Silicon. That is to say, we are broadcasting right in the middle of E3, but we are not really talking about E3 this week, mainly because... Yes, I, 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 that, that was intended in the one, of, the one that takes place during E3. Right. You know, it's like, we'll have the full E3 show next week. Now, it's like, I know it's a popular pastime to, you know like, do a show right after a conference, um, right after, you know, maybe a Nintendo uh, Treehouse stream, what have you. We're not quite there yet. Um, It's not after, it's during. um, Yeah, it's like, we kind of, well, we did broadcast during the Bethesda conference, but that was kind of a test thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, one thing in the future is definitely the fatigue factor. Like, yeah. conferences go on for a long time and can sometimes and, and, get numbing in their uh, gameplay demos. And starting an hour beforehand doesn't help. Yeah. It's like, we'll see how things roll along in the, you know, E3s ahead. But, you know, this year, we're going to stick to tradition and do, you know, a week after, once we have time to gather our thoughts and, you know, make sure we have an itemized list to talk about. Yeah, there's certainly mm. a lot to talk about E3, but you know, more on that next week. Anyway, so that aside, on to the news. Uh, Petty Fan, why don't you start us off, because you seem to have an axe to grind. Uh, Monday, I had my sleep study thing, and, and to put it bluntly, it sucked. Basically, they had me go to sleep at around 8:30 p.m. and then oh, yeah and then usually instead of like managing the wires like on hooks or whatever they just shoved them so tight between the he- the bed and the headboard that I couldn't even sit up in bed so every time I'd move I'd be popping off wires and the tech would have to come in and fix them I also got very little sleep again so at best, I'm probably going to have to have one more study, which is going to be glorious. At worst... Make sure they let you go to bed at a human hour again instead. And it's like, at worst, they're going to try and tell me I don't have sleep apnea because of how little sleep I got. And I may have to look for another doctor again. Oh, anyway, outside of that, not a whole lot's been going on. I don't know what to say, other than, you know, the universe just seems yeah. to hate you. Well, it's like, if I had an extra $400 on me, I could go buy a CPAP machine off Craigslist, but I don't have an extra $400 on me. Huh. Now, that's unfortunate. So. Anyway, next. Alex? 
Um, well, pretty slow around here. I've been trying to watch E3 when I can, but, uh, you know, spending all of your job hours watching E3 is generally frowned upon, so I've been missing a lot of it. Um, a little bit disappointed with Nintendo so far, but at least they are better than they were on the first day, but, um... Still playing pretty much the same games. I don't know if I mentioned that I got Kirby Planet Robobot last week, but I did, and I've been playing that some. That's fun, but as a Kirby game, it's not super hard or anything, although I understand the true arena is once again actually hard, so I'm not sure I'll be able to complete that when I get to it, but yeah. I think the Robobot is pretty neat in terms of... It's, it's, more, it's better integrated into the game than... The Something last about getting good, store. son. <laughs> <laughs> hey, That's I never, cla- I never, I never claim to be good at video games, just to enjoy them. Anyway, uh, I was gonna think you're up next. Oh god, kind of a tiring week so far. A bit of an adjustment, but whatever. Uh, let's see, we're done with Mega Man. Mm-hmm. As with most things, there tend to be short games. Yes. Majora's Mask is going along very nicely. We're in the back quarter there, so... Yay! Mostly done there. Uh, let me see. We've got plans for the next little LP afterwards. Huh. Should be nice. I'm like, is that like... After Majora's Mask, or other? Yeah. But, uh... And then, of course, I got ideas for stuff for later on, but mostly because apparently I gotta wait till September for Dragon Quest Seven, and I'm not bitter about that. <laughs> Obviously but, not. At least it's coming to the West. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, after three freaking years. Well, Do you know how many Digimon games I've been waiting for that are probably never coming to the West? Well, Suck so, it up. Anybody likes Digimon, Well, anyway. you can thank the French for... Uh, I know. First they gave us freedom, then they gave us Dragon Quest Seven, And then there was a bunch of stuff in between, but history kind of overlooks all that. Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Uh, That's kind of about it for me, so... Uh, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. My week has basically been summed up by E3, E3, and E3. (laughs) As the head of this show, yes, my job to watch all the news and the conferences and the the media and I'm like god damn I've been I've just been exhausted staring at shit for like I don't know eight hours however long it's been cough cough this is why we're not doing the E3 topic this week cough cough yeah it's like I'm just kind of burnt out on E3 media already and you know it's like not even over yet (laughs) now it's like you know, it's the kind of thing you have to do for the job. I know. Maybe one day we will be broadcasting from E3. You know. Oh God, that would be terrifying. <laughs> Wouldn't that involve traveling to the west to the left coast? Yes. Yes. Uh, like one said, day, if one of us wins the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, that's a obvious distant goal. And yeah. Not one I'm sure. You know, it's like honestly, I'd rather go to like GDC. Or packs or something like that. Yeah, that, that's kind of more our beat than E3. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the 
Uh, that's about it for me. Like, so merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion. And this week we have Ryan Roth of Dual Ryan. Oh, hey. Hey, hello. Yes. <laughs> I've been listening to your guys' uh, week. It's been pretty good. <laughs> yes. Some weeks are more eventful than others. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, anyway, all right. You know, uh, starting off, we'd like to get to know our guests better. And we'd like to start with um, how did you get interested in video games and, uh, you know, initially? How did I get interested in video games? Uh, probably from playing video games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I guess when I was a kid, my, you know, my. Dad got me a an Atari 2600. And I played that every morning, and then I got a Game Boy, and I don't know. I just started making games in high school, and and I just ended up making music for stuff. So yeah. Games for what in high school? Uh, I ma- I mainly did um, games in RPG Maker with my friends from high school. Oh. <laughs> Ah, yes. nothing, nothing serious. Nothing serious. Not, it's like we've had people who've done that that kind of thing, although that more in college. Oh, but um, I suppose the next question is: um, When did you like specifically decide to work in the field of video games, like make music for video games specifically? Um, I think I was in. Well, I mean, I went to university. Mm-hmm. for music and uh i guess i was just at the university point i was like yep this is what i'm gonna do and uh you know it, yeah i guess you know i was probably in university hmm. right and uh, shifting a bit here um uh in addition to that um when did your musical aspirations uh start showing well i guess in high school like i was responsible for like when when we were making these games in RPG Maker, like, mm-hmm. we wouldn't make, you know, just straight up whatever. Like, we had a whole card system that, like, you know, I think I was programming, and my friend was doing, like, this custom battle system, like, CBS stuff, and um, so we did a lot of, like, extra stuff, but I was always responsible for the music, and I did all the music and all the, you know, all the voice acting. We had some voice acting for, like, uh, you know, some efforts for, like, the attacks and stuff, and that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just ended up it was probably working on those RPG Maker games and just having to use Cakewalk or whatever it was and make shitty MIDI music. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, MIDI. I'm like, yeah. anyway, um, so, like, did you go to university for, like, formal music training? Yes, yes, yes. It was mostly just theory and... Mm-hmm. Learning how to do Shankarian analysis and all this crazy nonsense that uh, you know Ian Shankler would would have a fun time talking to me about, I guess. But uh, <laughs> you know, mm. and uh, did you start out uh, bring uh, video games, or did you like do uh, other fields like television, movies, what have you? Yeah, I was li- I lived in Vancouver for a bit and I did a bit of um I did a bit of post production mm-hmm. with for like some TV shows. 
um, on the Vision Network. So, I mean, I'm not going to... I don't even want to tell you what they are, because whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I don't even know what the Vision is. Okay, you know what? I, it doesn't matter. It's, I think it's like some Christian broadcasting. I, I don't know. In, in any case... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I did a bit of that, and it was. Kind hey, of you take the jobs they offer you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you got to live. Vancouver's not. Uh, Vancouver's no. not cheap, so. No, I've I've heard stories. Now it's kind of like the the Canadian San Francisco. I've heard it called. Yeah, it's definitely overpriced, but I mean that's just how it goes, I guess. Uh, anyway, so. Like, what was, like, the first, I don't know, professional uh, game you scored? The first game, like, before Starseed Pilgrim, or, I, I guess? I, uh, I'm i not sure where you, ca- where you count that. You know. um, I don't know. Like, the first time I started making music for games was probably, you know, in high school, like, working on all these weird... Okay, uh, let, let me redefine that. Uh, you know, like, what was the first game, like, uh, out of university, out of school that you scored? Um, it was this game called... Okay, you know what? I know what it is. It was this game called Kingdom of Nestor. Don't look that up. You won't find it. But it was, uh, it was on iOS, and it had, like, a puzzle game on the on the bottom part and on the top part it was like a platforming game. What's that what's that game that's like the professor uh that game? You know what I'm talking about? Like there's a puzzle game on the bottom and then there's like a platform on the top. It sounds familiar, but uh, it's not the jog- Is that the Henry Hasworth one? That's the one Henry has that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you get a mech and stuff like that. So I didn't work on that game, but it was very similar to that. <laughs> hmm. Right. So I, I guess then, the, well, perhaps the first game of note uh, here on your resume is Starseed Pilgrim. Yeah, a, probably Starseed Pilgrim. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I played a bit of that. Now I, I got to admit, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty complicated game, yeah, to say the least. Yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, I think. Um, so, how does the like musical process work on a on a game, as opposed to like you know a, a movie or a television program or. Um, okay, well, I mean, I just, um, usually when I do music and, and, and sound, usually I, you know, I'm working on, like, a puzzle game, like, mm-hmm. you know, Sokobond or, or, or Starseed Pilgrim or whatever, where I have the ability to create, to, to kind of let the player almost uh, make their own music as they're playing, and I kind of like that the most. Like, I've done stuff like, you know, or, you know, Moon Hunters, where you've got to do you know, just straight up, like, here's here's a bunch of stuff, but I kind of like it when it's more procedural, and it's and it's more like, hey, you've got these, you've got these, you know, different notes that are getting played with the, with the gameplay, and it's just, you're, 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 you're essentially making music, you know, like, I'm, 
I'm more into that kind of thing. But uh, mm. but I mean that's that's a totally different process than just hey sit down, write a three minute piece of music and then you know they're gonna play it in the in the mountains area you know like right yeah. And you're also a sound engineer, correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, um, like, how does that differ, differ from being a musician? Well, music is more... I mean, you're writing music, and mm-hmm. I mean, the sound design is more... It is more post-production-based, so it's more like... Uh, it's more like what I did in Vancouver, like, you know, doing... You know, you, you cut some sound effects, you, it's more technical, you know, mm-hmm. I, I find, and... Uh, I don't know, I like that aspect of it, too. So. All right. Well, is it more difficult, or is it just different? I would say it's just different, but, I mean, a lot of people, I, I don't I don't think a lot of people want to do both. Like, I think a lot of people kind of just put one hat on, and that's what they want to do. Yeah. I think the more kind of, like, technical, like, hey, we need to use compressors, and we need to do all that stuff, like, make sure it's all, uh, you know, good in terms of, you know, sound design, I think... You know, I think there are certain t- type of people that that prefer that than people that just want to be like, oh, I want to make this, you know, this dreamy, cool synth, and you know, I want to feel it out. And you know, that's a different, different kind of person. But I kind of wear both hats, I guess. I'm like, I gotta admit, I don't hear that combo too often. Like, you know, it does seem to be one or or the other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, is that something you uh like? land on or is that just something you kind of fell into based off of like work or something yeah like once I started doing post-production like in Vancouver and you know I, I took a lot of that sort of technical sound design stuff in Vancouver like a lot of the schooling I did there uh, so I guess it was just you know I had a music degree and then I did like a sound design degree and then I guess that's what happened, you know. Mm. Both of them came together. Makes sense. Like, like is it not an uncommon story uh, on this program. Uh, let me see. Oh, uh, right. Now, shifting back to the music side of things, do you prefer working with real instruments or do you prefer working with, like, MIDI or synth? Well, I love using, you know, my computer to make music. It's great, you know, using cool... Mm-hmm. samples from like East West or you know native instruments and stuff it's super fun. I do like working with real instruments sometimes though like uh I've worked with uh with Helena Heron on a lot of stuff uh, like the yog and uh and moon hunters and you know she plays guitar and uh sings and it's it, we usually work together pretty well and it's it's usually like a good uh you know, it's usually it's usually a good time that kind of takes me away from my computer and you know gets me into doing like live, you know, singing and stuff like that. Hmm. Like, sounds like a, a bit of a complicated process. A little bit, but it's always a good time. It's always an adventure. You know, you always start something, you don't know what's going to happen, and then you and then you do, and it's and it's fun. You know, it's it's a journey. Oh, indeed. I mean, you know, just looking at your. Uh the amount of games you've scored already, it, it, uh, there's quite a lot here. Uh, like, yeah. uh, like for example, uh, you mentioned the game Sokobond. Sokobond, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is this exactly? <laughs> what's, the, what's the game? Or what? Yeah, the, the game. And, um, like, how do you, like, and, 
uh, more to the point, like how do you score a puzzle game versus something like Moon Hunters? Well, that's like, that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. I mean, there's kind of a there's kind of a different way of there's kind of a different way of doing it, and I think a lot of my music theory and a lot of the you know uh, music degree kind of uh, comes through with that, where I'm just like, okay, well, we've got this gameplay element. And we're going to put a instrument to that element, but we're going to use we're going to use a certain uh, number of notes that all work well with each other. And then we can have backing music that's in the same key. And then if we need to like transpose or you know modulate to different keys, we can use different samples based. On, I don't know. It's just more mathematical, I guess. It's more like theory based for a puzzle game versus Moon Hunters, which is more. Uh, and that leads me to the next question: is Electronic Super Joy. I want to talk about this one specifically because I've played Electronic Super Joy, and this is one of those games where the music is not just you know, background part of the music, it's actually part of the game. Now, for, for those who don't know who what Electronic Super Joy is, it's a platformer um, where, like, uh, it's been a while, but I remember that you, every time you jump like, on a platform, a note appears, uh, you know, it makes music. You're basically making music um, by platforming. Also, orgasms. Yeah, okay, the orgasms, that was the best idea I ever had. Holy shit. <laughs> all right, how did that happen? All right, all right. So what? I, so this, this guy I was working with on the game, Michael Todd, like he just, you know, he just brought me in to, to start working on it one day, and he was friends with Alex who did Starseed with me. Anyways, he, he comes in, and he's like, all right, just just play the game a little bit, and it didn't have any sounds at that point, and, and we just had the music in the background, and, and he was just like, you know, just put something for, you know, and I put, like, these DJ scratch sounds for, like, when you, you know, when you jump on these little arrows and, and you know, this and that. And anyway, so I, and he's like, we need a checkpoint sound, and I had this little, like, ding sound, something I think that I ripped off from Starseed Building. And then I was like, no, you know what? It's fucking dance music. I'm gonna put in I'm gonna put in some some orgasm sounds. I did it and we did a play test and everybody was laughing and having a great time and yeah, it was it was a good idea. <laughs> I, I must admit it was um unexpected to to come across the, those particular sounds <laughs> to say the least. I'm like but it, you know, it, it definitely stood out. Uh, like now, orgasm sounds aside, uh, did you have like any input on like the design of the game, or you know, or like uh, how did the designers work your music into the actual gameplay? Well, the music actually, a lot of it was done by an artist named Envy mm-hmm. that I have actually never met, but uh, he did a lot of the music tracks. Um, you know, I did like the menu music and like a like a couple other things, but it was mostly him. Uh, the music just kind of had an algorithm. Like, have you ever, guys ever played uh, game, uh, Super Hexagon? You played Super Hexagon, right? <laughs> yes, I played Super Hexagon. Not for very long, but I played it. Okay, all right. So the same, I think the same algorithm. I, I'm not exactly sure. I think Michael Todd talked to um, to Terry Cavanaugh, and and they kind of worked a little bit on, you know, having music interact or having the, the visuals 
uh, you know, scale based on, on you know, the, the frequencies of stuff that was happening in the music. So I think they use the same Super Hexagon and in Electronic Super Joy use the exact same sort of sound algorithm to pick up on the music and, and kind of like make their visuals that pulse and stuff like that. So. Hmm. And, uh, well, did you work on the sequel? I had nothing to do with that. I guess they took my sounds and put it in the new game, but I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> I think I'd get paid for it. <laughs> I, I, hope that, I, I hope that didn't lead to any bad blood. No, no, no. Michael Todd and I are we're super good friends. We've, 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 uh, we've had all kinds of experiences together. Hmm. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. It's always bad when, you know, friends fall out and all that. Uh, Anyway, so moving on to, I suppose, kind of the main events. Uh, How did you hook up with Kit Fox Games? All right, so what happened was Tanya, who runs Kit Fox, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, she emailed me, like, a couple years ago, and she's like, I love Starcy Pilgrim, I love the music, and, you know, you're cool, and, you know, come, come hang out with me in Montreal, which is, you know, not that far from here, it's, like, five or six hour drive. I live in Toronto, by the way. And, uh, and, yeah, she, she took me in, uh, I think Alex came with me, too, and she took me out for... She took us out for breakfast to get, like, bagels or something. I can't remember. And, and uh, she's like, look, I'm working on this game called Shattered Planet, and I really want you to work with me on it. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll see what I'm doing. And I ended up saying yes, and we worked together on that. And then she, uh, you know, about a year later, a year and a half later, she uh, started Moon Hunters. And I was just, she's like, yeah, we're, let's have you do more music and sound. So that's what happened. Let me see. Uh, let's see. Starseed Planet. Uh, I'm gonna admit, I, I didn't play this one. Shattered Shatter Planet? Yeah, it's like the, the roguelike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like... Uh, I'm trying to was the music easier to do, harder to do on these projects, or...? Um, I don't know. I I like working with Tanya. I mean, it's it brings me out of my, you know, sometimes, I, like I said, I do a lot of puzzle games, and I like to do, you know, all this procedural, like, all these different samples, and, you know, where this is more of a linear thing. It, I guess it takes me out of my element a little bit, but it's it's fun. I always have fun working with Tanya. She's just such a great person. I don't right. know. I can't. She's just super nice. Yeah, she was originally supposed to attend this interview, but uh, couldn't for I don't know if she mentioned the reason, but you know, uh, that that's kind of why my you know like I had a bunch of questions about like Moon Hunters in particular, but you know unfortunately you know since you're on the music side, it, I'm not sure how much you would know about like the design or you know like how the how the conceptualization was. Well, I know I know a little bit about. It. I mean, I I'll, I mean the biggest part is uh, I'm pretty sure from from Shattered Planet they kind of reused the technology a little bit from the you know the procedural stuff. Tanya's really into procedural stuff too, so you know map building and stuff like that. So right. Um, so I think they just kind of built from 
shattered planet and made it a more like organic kind of you know procedurally generated stuff you know but I mean that's really I guess that's as much as I know about it but mm. yeah, yeah we we have a fair amount of developers who work with like procedural generation in fact we had a dev just last week talked about procedural generation I'm like I I, I like the concepts but you know, it's like I do like my hand-drawn, uh, you know, actual level design as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, same here, same here. There's something to be said for for good level design, that's for sure. Yeah, and, you know, it's like we we played Moon Hunters, what, about a month ago at this point? Yeah, it must have been. It was it was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like, and uh, what, what did you guys think of the music? Um... I liked. I actually liked the music a lot. Uh, it suited the environments really well, and I liked when the. Uh, I liked the songstress's music whenever she showed up, and I didn't play with the music on all that much, but when it was on, I really noticed it improved the uh, atmosphere and feeling. Okay. I, I sadly didn't get a chance <laughs> to play the game, so. Oh right, right, right. You were you had. My you ca- you had yeah, my computer was a toaster, basically. Yeah. yeah, it's like... I remember the music being very ethereal and, you know, kind of nature You know, easy listening moves. Like, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Like... <sighs> Anyone else remember the CD series like Pure Moods? Vaguely, Not it really. rings a bell, but I don't know if I've ever actually heard it. Uh, you know, a lot of, I uh, it's like, it's kind of hard to convey if you don't know what it is. Uh, like, back when easy listening was, you know, it's music that that's, you know, very into, I felt it was very in keeping of like with the naturalistic themes of Moon Hunter. Mm-hmm. Oh. But yeah, I worked with Helena a lot on uh, on the soundtrack. She, I think she did five tracks or something. Uh, it's mostly for like the villages and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, she just has a very, you know, she also did a lot of the music for the Yog. So it's it's just like a very, not I don't know, calming, but you know, foresty adventure. You know, ethereal is a good word for it. I think. You know, her vocals are very. Uh, you know, are very, very, um, I would just say, very, very specific to, to, you know, that ethereal nature, so, yeah. Right. Uh, so, how did the collaboration work? Uh, like, like, did you actually uh, get into a studio together, or was it more long distance? No, uh, well, Helena was living with me at the time. We, we actually hmm. were... Uh, you know, uh, we we uh, we we went to my hometown in New Brunswick, uh, it's like, it's like, um, a small province on the east coast, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah, we just kind of lived in this place for a few months and and wrote a lot of the music for Moon Hunters there. So we were in a very quiet space with like a little village that was like you know a thousand people and. Um, so yeah, it was it was very appropriate for the game, I guess. Uh, I'm like I I could see I could see how that that was an influence, you know, 
like just re- you know remembering what what Moon Hunters is about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like, like I said, for those who haven't played the game yet, Moon Hunters is very like it's about like uh, two tribes who are like who are very in touch with their moon goddess. You know, it's like one is a forest tribe, the other is a desert tribe. Yeah, there are four tribes, but you have to unlock the other ones. Yeah, I'm just talking about the initial. Mm-hmm. No. And, and the point is, um, uh, like, like this Mayan priest guy from, uh, who represents the sun god mentions that they, like, killed the moon god, and, and you have, like, three days to restore order, or else, you know, this new, uh, you know, this new order is going to reign supreme, and you know they're they're trying to kill you because you represent the old ideas, and you know you're somebody who's a threat to them. And it's also mm-hmm. a uh, very mul- uh, multiplayer-focused game. Uh, for those who remember our, our uh, well, it's like that's right. This didn't actually get broadcasted, but. We tried to do the online multiplayer. Uh, didn't go so well. Yeah, the game kept crashing when we got to, like, past the prologue for some reason. Uh, Apparently it has worked for other people, because I don't see, the, like, that as a universal complaint, but... It's like, well, at the point we, we were at, and, you know, when we tried to hook it up, it crashed twice. So Yeah. It's like... Maybe it's something between us specifically, I don't know. I'm like, well, when two hosts crash, but... Uh, anyway, uh, well, how much music did you end up, uh, recording for Moon Hunters? How much did I, did we record? I, yeah. I mean, like, how long is the... Yeah, in, ter- in terms of, like, 30 minutes of music, 60 minutes of music? Yeah, I think it's about between 30 and 40 minutes of music, so, yeah, yeah, it's about that much. Right, and I forget, is the OST available for purchase? Yeah, of course, yeah. Ah. Moon, Moon Hunters. It's on Bandcamp. It's on. I think it's on iTunes. It's on all the things you want to Spotify, whatever you do. I guess. Uh, right. Uh, now, uh, did you do any sound design work on Moon Hunters? Yeah, I did the whole the whole shebang. Hmm. Uh, and how did that compare to other uh, projects you've worked on? Uh, I mean, it was. I don't know, sound design for this game was pretty fun. You know, I did a lot of... I was able to do a little bit with the... with the songstress, or the songweaver, rather, um, character, where I was able to say, okay, you know, she has this, like, note-based combat system, so you, like, press different buttons, and then it, like, plays different notes, and I was like, oh, cool, now I can use my, you know, my other sound design sort of uh, things that I like to do with, like, Bond or or a good snowman is hard to build with these like procedural notes, right? So I can, I can, I can find out what the key of the music is in the background, and then I can play certain samples based on what notes you're hitting. So if you go in a certain level, like the song Weaver will have different notes that that she plays. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't that know if was... Adam unlocked her, but I definitely okay. I I enjoyed the way that that worked when I was playing around with her. Unfortunately, I was playing single player, so I wasn't getting the best usage out of most of her mm-hmm. powers. But mm-hmm. Yeah, more support, right? Because so. mm-hmm. yeah. her abilities, in addition to buffing herself, they also buff anyone around her when she's doing it, pretty much. Yeah. Like I said, uh, yeah, we were always disappointed that we didn't get the multiplayer to work correctly, but, you know, 
that's how it goes sometimes. Sorry about that. I mean, I don't. It, it, it's not. It's not sorry. your. It's not your fault. Like we were having a lot of tech problems that week. You know, petty fan. His computer was uh, kind of fried there. Well, not fried, just overheating. Yeah. My thermal alarms are going off even just um, turning the game on. Uh, right, so what would you say has been your most ambitious uh, musical project uh, to date uh, as far as games are concerned? Well, um, I think the... I mean, I'm doing something right now that's pretty expensive and cool, but uh, I can't really talk about it. Uh, but that has come out already, uh, probably my biggest thing that I've done is uh, uh, the beginner's guide that I did read in. Oh, oh, right, right. We had him on the show a couple of years ago, uh, back when, like, the, staring, uh, the Stanley Parable came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, well, uh, like, what did you do for the beginner's guide? If you hear it, I made it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, no collaboration this time? Uh, no. Uh, I guess uh, Helena did the ending music credits, so she helped sing those. Uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah, it was it was all me. So I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, was there anything particularly challenge about uh, challenging uh, about de- designing music for the beginner's guide? Yeah, Davey. Uh, I don't know. We we have a we had a pretty interesting you know relationship. Like we you know we got to we got to talk a lot about. You know, emotions in the game. I don't know. You, you guys ever played the game, Scott? You guys finish it? Or? Uh, haven't played that one. Uh, like we play a lot of games. Okay. That's like that. Oh. Um. Yeah, it was just a lot of a lot of things that kind of took me out of my uh, comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a in a positive way. So like, um, you know, a lot of music that I like to write is. You know, contrapuntally correct, and you know, you know, technically it it works well, and I have a very, uh, bec- I think because I went to you know, to university for music, it kind of gives me this little bit, little bit of rigidity in terms of, uh, you know, what what, what notes I want to hit harmonically, uh, melodically, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I think this game, Davey, really wanted me to stray away from that, and uh, just the emotion of the game is very. You know, there's a lot of disjointedness. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of there's a lot of general stuff that doesn't, you know, really mean that the music needs to needs to be coherent. It needs to be it needs to be something weird. So I, so I ended up using weird tempos and and weird melodic material that I never would have done otherwise in other games. But Davey really helped me, you know, push towards this this weird, you know, emotional stuff. So, probably that wasn't too much information to me. I don't know. I... I think it was. So, we're getting low on time here to just some more questions. Um, uh, I'm like, have you done any other games past Moon Hunters that you can talk about? Um... Yeah, yeah, I've done... I've done... uh, I did Modbox with the BR thing. You know, the Vive, I guess. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if you guys played Modbox, but I worked with Ryan Henwood on that. Also, Cryptarch. Uh, have you played? Uh, have you played? You guys played Apotheon? Apotheon. Not ringing a bell. No, it's like the one. I that have looks not like heard this, of it. 
It looks like the, you know, like ancient pottery arts. You know, like. I, I think that, that, that's kind of jogging a memory, but that, that I might be thinking of a different game. Yeah, I haven't played it, but I'm familiar with the, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Once I once, usually once you say that style, it's like, oh yeah, right, right, right. The, the pottery style. And in any case, they're making a new game mm-hmm. uh, called uh, called Cryptarch, which is a it's a roguelike shooter side scroller sort of thing. Um, so I've, so I've been working on that, and I worked with Ryan Henwood on that. He did Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. I don't know if you guys played that one. I have that. I have not played it yet. Okay. I've seen it played significantly. Yeah, it's really good. Ryan did a really cool job with me. He works at uh, Ubisoft now, but uh, mm-hmm. but we still collaborate on. Uh, he, he's just a sound designer, so we just do music together. And so you know, he brought his guitar over, and we did some like really cool like metal industrial kind of music for Cryptarch. So I'm really happy with that soundtrack. It's pretty fun. So. Hmm. Uh, mm, well, that begs another question. Uh, like, um, are you pretty happy with the indie scene, or do you, like, do you have aspirations to like work at like uh, an Ubisoft or you know another AAA publisher one day? So I don't know. I guess. I guess I I really do like indie stuff. I mean, I've been I've been doing it for a while and it's I like my freedom. I like my, you know, flexible hours and you know, I got just got to get it done and you you get to be more in charge and all that stuff, but um I think Ubisoft or something like that would appeal to me. Uh, honestly, if I could work on a Metroid game if it was a fucking Metroid game, I swear to God, I don't. I would drop everything. I work on the Metroid game. Like Metroid is <laughs> my favorite. Oh. Um, but uh, but I mean, no. I just like you know Ubisoft. I don't know. They they make some pretty cool games, and it's you know it's broad, has a wide appeal. But I don't know. I just like the the whole corporate mentality. Is just I don't know if it's for me. You know, like I like. Yeah, there are, there are definitely big advantages to both indie and bigger company work. Of course, of course, yeah. Well, when it comes to like modern day AAA publishers, they seem to be really in love with like symphony orchestra, you know, uh, music that kind of sounds like Hollywood soundtracks uh, for the most part. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just you know, a lot of modern um, uh, AAA game music is not so much bland as it is atmospheric and it's, you know, it fits the moment-to-moment stuff, but it's not really memorable outside of that. Exactly. It's very much like a film. You know, a lot of games are like that. Not not every game, obviously, but... No, 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 of course not. Um, let's see, and finally, um, uh, do you... Do you produce music outside of the, the video game range these days? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, Ryan Henwood and I, before we worked together, we made, you know, we put out an album together called Primal. It was kind of fun. So we just made some, like, weird electronic music. It was kind of fun. Uh, I put out a kind of B-side to the Beginner's Guide. Like, I made a lot of music for the Beginner's Guide, and... Uh, I didn't end up using it all, so I put together a couple other things, and I put an album out uh, called Selected Ambient Works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm 
I try to do stuff otherwise, you know. It's hard sometimes when you got a lot of games on the go, but uh, it's fun, you know, when I can. Well, Ryan, it was uh, lovely having you on the program, and hopefully we'll have you back um, when you're, uh, when the project you're working on can be talked about. Yeah, of course. It's it's really cool. I'm really, really excited. <laughs> uh, I'm like, well, happy to hear it. Um, the game is Moon Hunters. Well, one of them. There, the, there are several games here, but yeah, the one we kind of featured is Moon Hunters. So uh, uh, it's available for fourteen ninety nine uh, on uh, Steam and uh, various other services. I'm not sure if it's coming to consoles or not. Very soon, very soon. July. I can't remember the exact date, but it's like middle of July. Mm-hmm. It'll be on PS4. I'm pretty sure. So. Um, cool. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, this is definitely a game that would be good on console. Yeah. Yeah, Coach Co-op for sure. Like, you know, grab a bunch of PlayStation controllers and just go to town. You know? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Petty Fan, play us to the next segment. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the topic of discussion. So last week we were supposed to talk about Majora's Mask. We didn't because of time constraints. Uh, this week, uh, you know, we can do that. Uh, right. So Ogre, why don't you start us off because you're doing an LP of this game, right? Now. I've never heard of the game before. <laughs> oh. Well, you did a pretty darn good job in the uh, freaking Snowhead Temple for that. No, what? You guys even <laughs> talking about? Uh, anyway, Majora's Mask is the what third direct sequel throughout the entire series. It like, depends on dir- how you define sequels. Yeah, as in it's a direct sequel from Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. It's either the first, unless Link's Awakening still a little muddled there, but that's what I was to say because I remember back in the day, Link's Awakening was considered to be a direct sequel to Link's Past, but I don't know if that was not only true back, like if it was ever true. Uh, I think that still is, but I think Zelda Two is no longer an immediate sequel to Zelda One. Zelda Two was never an immediate sequel to Zelda One. You know, like Zelda, like Zelda Two, Link and Zelda are different. From uh, Zelda One, Link and Zelda. If you actually, I think some people might have thought it was then. Well, yeah, but if you actually like read the instruction booklet, yeah, the, the story of this Link and this Zelda, and you know, his, you know, her brother casting a sleep spell in order to keep Ganon from arising. I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit. Pushy. From what I remember, it was like. The brother was jealous because he didn't get the full Triforce, and so he got pissed and took it out on his sister Zelda, and then 500 years passed, and then Link set out to get the Triforce of Courage so he can complete the Triforce from the previous game and wake her up. Yeah, there we go. That's what it's like. It's like there were kind of two Zeldas then? Yeah, because she was like the... She was originally the idea of why Zeldas were named Zelda. is because... The brother came out of his stupor for a while, banished the wizard that did all this to him, and then went like, from now on, all girls born in this family will be named Zelda, and that's just tough shit for the rest of you. 
I'm looking at you, Tetra. You're Zelda now. Yeah, and... Spoilers. Oh, it's about as stupid as the whole Sheik thing. And yet, the odd thing is, Zelda 2 is still like the latest Zelda game, timeline-wise. Or at least on its own timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, yeah. Then again, who the, who the hell knows when um, Breath of the Wild is taking place? Other Breath of the Wild that, seems like it's most likely to be significantly post-Wind Waker. Although, who mm-hmm. knows? Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing. But is it on the Wind Waker timeline, or is it on, you know, one of the other two? I suppose we shall have to wait and see. The only thing we do know is, yeah, it's it's at the time of Wind Waker or after it, because it's got Vokabins, or Vokalos, or, you know, those Leaf... Uh, those leaf Vokoblins. Yeah. Not 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 bo- not Bokoblins, the um the things that the uh Kokiri evolved into. Oh Koroks. Koroks, there we go. Yeah. Koroks showed up in the game, so that tells that's a big tell of where uh, this game is taking place. But I digress. You know Mr. Anyway. Yeah. Majora's Mask is a sequel to Ocarina of Time wherein Link proceeds to try to find Navi from the last game after she left and then gets robbed by some kid in the woods and thrown down a hole and Alice in Wonderland's the rest of the game. They're not I mean, dead if you want a brief summary, that's... That they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't die till later, so... Yeah. And, and that's really, honestly, the whole Alice in Wonderland thing makes way more sense now that I think about it. I'm like... Termin is certainly weird enough as a, as a reflection of Hyrule to be yeah. Wonderland type. And once he tumbles down the rabbit hole, he ends up in a new place called Termina, and it's like Hyrule, except different. Because there's a moon falling on everyone, and you only have three days to save the world. Yeah. Thankfully, you're the hero of time, so three days is like just to you. Yeah, I was going to say, I do wonder if someone's been keeping track of how many days you guys have been running in Naka's comment section. I don't know. I figure at least a couple of the cycles, he just passes out for a while and goes like, fuck yeah. it, nothing's getting done. Not just one cycle, he just sleeps for like two and a half days, the fairy wakes him up and he restarts time. Yeah, one of the things they did is, since it's an, it's a, it's either a distant part of the world that you get warped to or another world entirely, but one of the things they did, uh, this game had a very short development cycle. It was and, like a year. Yeah, and they reused a lot of assets from the from Ocarina of Time so that almost every character model in Ocarina of Time is a character or multiple characters in Majora's Mask. That and, seemed to be the basis of the whole thing. They wanted to make another Zelda and they said, well, you gotta use the same assets and you got a year. That's what they yeah. did. And Majora's Mask, uh, because of the time loop, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, gives a lot more development to all of the individual NPCs than a lot of ha- than happened in most of Ocarina of Time. Well, we do have to get into the time loop because that's the whole base. That's like the main mechanic of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that originally in Ocarina of Time, you got the Song of Time, and it messed with like time blocks but didn't do much more this time and when I said you had three days to do it I said you have three days and then the moon falls on you 
But at any point, once you get the Ocarina of Time back, you, you can play the Song of Time and actually control time by rewinding back to three days. Yeah, the only time-related thing the Song of Time did in the first game was opening the door on the Temple of Time. But then the actual time travel key was the Master Sword Pedestal. Yeah. In this one, the first three days, you the Skull Kid steals your ocarina and you're following him is why you end up in Termina. And this does also, seem to actually Sona, be the so. same Skull Kid you taught Saria's song to in the woods in, in Ocarina of Time. Ogre, were you saying something? Yeah, well, I was saying he stole Epona, too. Yeah, he stole Epona, and he stole your Ocarina. And so you, so you have to spend... And he, then, when you, then he curses you into the body of a Deku scrub. So your and first then, three days in Termina is spent trying to get your form back, because the Happy Mask Salesman tells you... Yeah, I was about to say, it's like, God help us, we can't not mention creepy Miyamoto in the game, so... <laughs> You've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? Oh, it just got a lot worse, scary man. <laughs> and then, of course, my he friend, asked, can I have my soul back? <laughs> then, of course, he asks you to help him with his task at getting the titular item, Majora's Mask, because apparently, an evil artifact that has a ma- uh, mass power in the hands of a mischievous dipshit is probably a bad thing for the world, aka the moon falling on you. Yeah. So here's something I want to address at this point that that no one ever brings up. Who the fuck is Majora? Uh, it's not really stated. There's like a backstory that said that the the, the mask used to belong to a tribe. So I guess they could be considered the Majoras, but that's the thing. Like, there's nothing on this thing. It's just the mask, and it's full of evil energy and stuff like that. Like, there was a manga that had an extra chapter that threw in that the mask was carved from a hide from a monster by a wandering hero who managed to kill it, and that's where it got its powers from. But other than that, it's just an old tribe used to use it in some rituals, then they disappeared, and now it's in the hands of creepy mask guy, and then the skull kid got its hands on it. Yeah, I'm gonna say... forms of the final boss is called Majora's Incarnation, so presumably either that's a metaphor or Majora does, was, an in, was an entity. It's presumably like a dark god or goddess that was somehow sealed in the mask. I'm just going to say god, because that's the more neutral one, because that thing is just wacky. Yeah. Potentially, but you know, it's something that's yeah, It's never really addressed. I have no idea. It's like, there's so much stuff that is addressed in the series, but I think Majora's Mask is that one where they just look at it and go like, no, we're just not answering that. Although that does bring up the odd thing that this is one of, like, three Zelda games ever tops that have absolutely no presence of Ganondorf Ganondorf or Ganon in them at all. And more than that, and yeah, there's there's no Ganon or Ganondorf here. Oh, He's been sealed. Like Hell, the Triforce is, this isn't even involved in it. Zelda only shows up in a flashback that you get after you get the Ocarina back. Yeah. It's like, this is one of those games that, you know, if they weren't stuck with the Legend of Zelda name, they probably would have named it something else. Yeah. yeah. It, it helps when you realize it's called Zelda Gaiden, which is 
side story. So, yeah. Honestly, it's on par with Link's Awakening and the idea of like it's connected to the series because it uses Link, but it goes into its own kind of ways. Yeah. And I kind of like it for that. It, it lets it experiment and do its own new things. Well, yeah, the, the, that's kind of the well, that's the position Majora's Mask is in, uh, because you know they wanted to do a, a quick sequel, but you know I, I think Yahtzee put it put it best uh, recently. You know they already established all the you know typical Zelda shit, and since this was a direct sequel, you know it's kind of like okay, you had the happily after Evelyn. You had the happily ever after ending. Now what? And you know that question led them to some very unconventional ideas. Now it's like mm-hmm. you know Majora's Mask is you know very uh, very similar to Ocarina of Time, which makes sense because it, yeah, same combat, same mechanics for a lot uh, for the items. Yeah. Yeah, it's using the same game engine and a lot of things are literally just the same. Yet it's a lot more advanced because it's one of three games that needed the um expansion pack to uh, to actually run. Yeah, the graphics mm-hmm. are better. Uh they actually uh way back on the N64 there was a joke that I don't know if it was spawned by Nintendo Power or just repeated in Nintendo Power that Link's scabbard was held on his back by Hylian Velcro. Uh, in this game, they even on the N64, they improved the model, so he actually had a uh, bandolier that his sword was attached to, the scabbard of. And, you know, it's like, and they did do new stuff for the game. You know, mm-hmm. like, especially, like, you know, like the, one of the new principal um, mechanics, if you will, are, are the three link forms, you know. Yes, it's- Going back to it, what Golic said earlier, at the very beginning, your curse had transformed into a Deku scrub, because if you're just starting out, you have to be a scrub no matter what, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after some convincing and a good shaking from the happy mass salesman, he teaches you a song that helps you heal the souls of the lost, and through your encounters in various areas, you use that to gain transformation mask, where Link transforms into a Deku scrub, a Goron, or a Zora. And a fourth and one for later on. Of other, you use it to gain a couple of other masks, too, just from people. Uh, you get the dancing mask with the Song of Healing. Yeah. 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 But the transformations are what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. And... So, Honestly, they're kind of one of the fun parts about the whole game, is just being able to transform into the, one of the three other major races in the original game. Right. Uh, and, yeah, the, and the game really centers around the mass concept for... I, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm not exactly sure the reason. Like, Yeah, in, in, I, there were masks in Ocarina of Time, but it was a minor uh, for fun side quest and there were only eight of them and you could only have one at a time. I w- in from this what game, I gather, there's an entire page of your inventory dedicated to masks. From what I gather, it's since time is reset, that means everything that you tend to do in a time cycle is reversed. But once you have a mask, that in itself is 
proof that you have done the deed that the quest is related to. Mm-hmm. I've heard tell that for the boss masks are consider- considered into the old idea of headhunting, where you would chop off the head of a fallen soldier and present it as proof of their death, in that sense. That makes sense. So I could see the masks like that as their proof that you've done something good for the land. Which that does come into play later on near the end of the game. I will say that did lead to me reading the absolutely most pretentious review I've ever read. Uh, the uh, sounds like Galax knows what I'm talking about. Like the um, the IGN and Nintendo 64 uh, Majora's Mask review. Like uh, if you haven't read it, just go and be amazed at how. Want to give us the foot in everyone else? It it it, uh, it opens it just... up. It it opens uh, like I think the tagline was. These are the ma- like these are the metaphorical masks we wear or something like that. It's oh my a- god! The- yeah, this game has a lot of uh, fodder for philosophy students to look into it and to find really deep things that may or may not have been intended at all. Uh huh. I think a lot of them probably, or at least, hey, that's kind of neat, or that could kind of mean something. But I'm sure it wasn't all intended to be as deep. And for example one of the things that people come up with is that uh, it's actually everybody is dead in purgatory and that's pretty manifest oh not. god yeah that, I th- that that was in that review I believe <laughs> is that go along with the whole fact that this is actually Link's dying dream kind of thing or uh, that I, kind of stuff yeah yeah no. yeah there's a lot of stuff that if you look into far into it you can build up fairly consistent deep things but that doesn't mean it's actually intended to be that way. But yeah, for the, the general thing of the game, since the moon is falling, there are obviously not much that just you can do about that. So you have to go to, after you, I think after the first cycle, you get a hint from a uh, fairy that uh, you tail. have to go to the Tattle's four... brother, Tail. Yeah, Tail. Because you have Tattle to go tail. to the four corners of the world... Uh, the north, the south, the east, and the west in not that order at all. And uh, free the giants there from the from their, from their being trapped by the evil bosses. Um, swamp, to can- uh, swamp, mountain, ocean, canyon. Go to these yeah. four places and wake up the four guardians there. Um, and obviously that's way too much to do in the three days you have before the moon falls, so you have to reset time many times to approach these different problems. And also, because the, the game takes place only in three times, and this is one of the more interesting things, uh, you get pretty early on a notebook of basically that automatically records all of yeah, the characters' the their names, their approximate schedules, and some notes about some things that they need to have done or you need to, that need to happen for them to be happy, and every character basically has a schedule that they go through throughout the three days, so they're not always just in the same place. Oh, you need that notebook, or you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you need to make appointments to see people, and there's one thing where you have to, after you get through a certain thing, 
you can make it so that you can get to an area in the game on the first two days that normally you can't even get to on the first two days because there's a big rock and you have to blow it up as a Goron. And then that opens up a couple of side quests in the area behind that. And I think they made it so you can't even start it until later in the game. In the N64 version, There, what you could start the biggest side quests fairly early on, but you, they, you would keep running into things that you couldn't complete until... Oh, no, you can still do that. It's just you run to the same problem where you hit the dead end and can't solve it until much later. Yeah, but you you can't get to the uh, the in-room as early. Because this time they actually noted that the character who has your name is a Goron, so you have to be a Goron to steal his room. I'm kind of glad they made that change. I felt so bad for him for a few times. Though he is a Goron, and they like the outside. That's yeah, right, I'm racist against Gorons. I suppose we should address some of the changes made uh, between Majora's... I was going to suggest gameplay, and then we'll do, like, the 3DS remake later. Okay, we could do that. But, well, well, so, the... gameplay is basically the same as Ocarina of Time. Yeah. The major change is that this game is heavy on side quests, and only has four dungeons. Well, Like I mentioned before, this not... game isn't long, it's dense. Yeah, that's not the gameplay, though. That's the design. Yeah, this, this is a this is a game, game with 50, this is a game with 52 heart containers, which is or heart pieces, which is the most in any Zelda game because you start with three and there are only four dungeons to give you heart containers. Right. But yeah, the gameplay it's very similar to Ocarina of Time. You're always Young Link, but you can use some items that Young Link couldn't use in Ocarina of Time because you're at least a couple of months old or possibly a year or two. The, the actual I keep gameplay, saying 12 because it just seems right. Mm-hmm. Well, like, the actual gameplay is, once again, very, very close to Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. because it's it's using the same engine, it's using the same mechanics, you know. So you're still Z-targeting and backflipping and stuff. Right, but... Uh, they did, however, you do have different forms to play as. Yeah, I was about to say, that's what the other forms are there for. It's the thing that really differentiates the, uh, the gameplay from not just Ocarina of Time, but a lot of different Zelda's. Like, I'd say that um, in spite of being a partial construct of uh, Ocarina of Time, it's still more mechanically different than, say, Wind Waker. Because you've got these alternate forms that play very, very differently. And whereas something like Major- um, Wind Waker just added and refined a few things to an already solid foundation. And, like, the Zora form isn't just a form for swimming. You also have, like, built-in boomerangs, and you can make an electric shield. Mm-hmm. And the Goron form is immune to lava and really heavy and can pound switches and has a really big bomb that'll... Right. And the Deku form, even though it's allegedly a curse, is surprisingly useful because it can hop across water... Uh, which isn't necessary, but but uh, or rather, isn't use, always good. But you can use can select come in handy. Pe- uh, yeah. pedal spots to fly into the air and fly across uh, across gaps that yeah, you normally shouldn't make. It can use Deku flowers to glide and or sort of fly, and it it actually is also early on in the game your only source of ranged attacks because it can shoot snot bubbles. At least you get, we know you get that's the, a nose uh, now. 
yeah, you get the bow and arrow in the first dungeon, but because there are so many side get, side quests, uh, it can be a while before you go into the first dungeon if you're trying to do all the side quests that are available. There are many of them. Mm-hmm. So many of them. But that's game design. Yeah, it's like, there's one more form, but I'm guessing you want to... Don't want to talk about that, right? I mean, we could talk about it at the end for there spoilers. Sake, but it's just one of them is only usable in one room in the entire game. Yeah, there's that too. The the science mask. R- right, and yeah, like the most useless, the transformation mask. Oh, I can use it for one boss, and that's it. In the oh. remake, they did at least make it necessary for that. And that actually leads into the remake because that boss is actually very different. Ugh. In the remake, then the I keep the, screwing up. I swear. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, it turns out Giant Link handles as bad as you'd expect from a twelve-year-old who's suddenly like forty feet tall. Well, and decides to pull off wrestling moves that he shouldn't know. <laughs> well, the big well, the big problem with the giant's mask is there's no Z targeting or L targeting or you know whatever yeah. you want to call it. I so, call it Z-targeting, because that's what I heard, and I don't care if it's on the L, it's just Z-targeting to me. And Z-targeting is uh, valid, because that's what it originally was called. Yeah. You know, it, you know it, it's called Z or L, or, you know, whatever. They call it L-targeting, because it's on the L, since yeah. it was on the N64, it was originally Z-targeting, because that was the one you used. Yeah, yeah but, it's always left-trigger targeting, but in the, on the N64, the left-trigger was usually the middle trigger, so... Right. That's the Z button. Yeah. The, you know, the point is, they took away the Z targeting, why the Z targeting was there in the first place. Yeah, because it's hard to hit without it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the fourth boss is against two really ridiculously huge worms that you could either, in a desert, that's like quicksand, so, with a platform in the middle... So you can either, in, in the S64 version, you can either in the middle and shoot them with arrows, or you can use the giant's mask and try to punch them to death, right. which works, but can be hard to hit them. In, uh, in the uh, 3DS version, you, have, you are forced to wear the giant's mask. Yeah, you have to beat it's, the first worm with a bow and arrow, and then you and actually then the get the giant's mask in the middle of the boss fight. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, you have that. to use that against the second one. And then Link suddenly decides, ah, I got masks, I can do some Lucha Libre. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he suddenly decides he can do wrestling, but I don't I, I don't really question it because he's a freaking giant. You don't question giants. Yeah. Their rebuttal is their foot. Yes. Mm-hmm. But and, uh, that's not the only change within the 3DS version. The, but actually, all of the bosses have had a significant change. Um, yeah, the they, eyeball. Yeah, this eye stalk comes out of the the mask when you damage them. I mean, you have to you have to damage this eye in order to actually kill the boss. In a in the first in the N sixty four version, they were all called gigantic or adjective masked things. So, gigantic masked fish, demonic masked whatever. Yeah, I I, I forget what they called a dolwa anyway. But yeah. Um, and that was kind of a thing, because those are what you get when you beat them that is your proof of beating them. That was supposed the to be their trick. connection with Majora. Yeah. 
But they made it more obvious in the remake by having a gigantic eyeball that looks exactly like the ones on Majora's Mask, which you've seen, uh, pop out of them like a balloon or just be revealed in a weak weak point that you have to hit after you reveal their weakness the normal way. Uh, Your Borgs look like he just had some lamb with applesauce. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So is the Yorg battle still as shitty as it was in the 64 version? It's different. Yeah, it's the still first terrible, half is but like, they did it differently. Because yeah. the first half is like pretty much the same, where you just have to stand on the platform and shoot him with arrows. And then halfway through, he decides, you know what, fuck your platform, and then smashes it. And then you have to fight him as Zorli. And then you have to, sh- then you have to unlatch mines while he's trying to absorb you and jaws him to death. Yeah, you have to. You have to literally, while he's doing vacuum mouth to try to eat you, you have to cut loose a mine that is closer to him than you are. That's chained to the floor, and then he'll swallow the mine instead of you, and it'll explode and it'll expose his weak point. Trust it's me, it'll be terrible. fun when Nakash puts up the video. So, oh, you you're th- you're through. You've done that, boss. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, other changes. Is, uh, well, the biggest... Well, the Zora swimming. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the... the probably the most controversial change is the Zora swimming. They kind of yeah. gave him, like, three speeds this time around. They gave him the speed, and then they gave him the new speed, which is just normal swimming speed, and now you have to use the shield to activate the... Woo! I'm swimming, motherfuckers! Yeah, in the first one, the Zora had two two speeds. One is doggy pedal, and second is gotta go fast. Faster, 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 Sonic X. That is really appropriate considering he's blue. So yep. they they kind of added an in, they added an in between speed where you can swim faster than doggy paddling, but it's pretty slow. Which would be fine because one of the reasons why they did that is because there are some tight corners in the dungeon you have to swim in. Uh, that you would otherwise be hitting walls in, probably. Uh, but they did that at the cost of making the gotta-go-fast speed require constantly drain your magic, which, uh, honestly, I never really suffered from, because at that point of the game, I had access to the milk bar, and I always bought Chateau Romani, with, like, two of the, like, 300 rupees that you can find in the in the town at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, once you get the milk bar stuff, you're pretty good. But before that, it's kind of like, eh. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, let's see. That uh, that one's not as bad. It's like, It could have been handled a little better, but... Mm-hmm. It just could have just been handled better. They were just... Something about it was just a little irksome. They did also add... They re- They changed a couple of the side quests around. They added another bottle to your inventory. Which um, is really unnecessary because you're already toting around six in the original and now you get seven. Yes, this is also the Zelda game with the most bottles. In fairness, there are some side quests that require an ass load of bottles. Because I think I have to point this out real quick that that Chateau Romani that Gollum's mentioned is kind of hinted to have some alcohol in it. And I guess Link just becomes alcoholic after so long because I don't know. <laughs> you try saving the you try saving the world after like God knows how many life uh, three day cycles, and then you just turn to Bill Murray. 
Well, the blue potion can like, fuck it, I need this. Anyway, uh, so yeah. the biggest addition overall to Majora's Mask 3D is fishing. Uh, oh, yeah, and they added the fishing holes back in as a completely optional thing, but, man, if you want to get all the fish, there's a lot of fish. The, I think that's the only thing I haven't done, because I keep looking at it and going, like, I don't know, I like fishing, but come on, can I at least get something out of it other than you caught a bunch of fish? Good for you. So I'm guessing you're literally not... not. It's literally not even. In, the bomber notebook includes as a thing you have to do to get 100 percent playing the stupid jar game on the beach. It does not include fishing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that. That's that's Nintendo it. knows. So I'm guessing that. Yeah, you're not really going to see fishing this time around. Yeah. Well, it's like. If you were, you're going to be you, because I still remember how pissed off Naka was Yeah. fishing. Anything else for the remake? Uh, jeez. And then we'll get the spoilers for story. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything more. Because it's usually just small stuff, like they change the Deku's skip. Yeah, I'm like... Instead of, like, being able to do the twirl off lily pads, now you just have to go jumping straight off of it. Yeah, and they did. They, they did also got add, rid of. Sorry. They also got rid of the goat exploit. The goat? Oh, goat. Boss goat. Yeah. yeah. Goat with an H. Yeah, you, you know, uh, beforehand you could just stand in the um, doorway and fire uh, like fire arrows at him. Oh yeah. You have to actually yeah. chase him as a Goron now. Mm-hmm. Just fun, because, let's face it, you're running around as a Goron with spikes that have been coming out of him. Right? If you can't have fun with that, fuck you. Like, and, yeah, that's about it, I think, on uh, remake changes. Yeah, with the extra, so. extra with the extra bottle, they added another minor side quest with the Gorman brothers, just to give a little more... Um, little more personality to the evil Luigi triplets. Yeah. So. Uh, it's like... As things go with the story, you start reaching the end, and you start coming to know and love these people, and kind of get pissed off at Majora's Mask for apparently deciding that it's time to crush these people. I and you finally... That's... Go ahead. I suppose that's another thing, uh, thing that this has in common with, like, Link's Awakening. This is a very character-driven uh, game. Yeah, when I said it had a ton of side quests, it has a ton of side quests. Like, yeah, you, if you almost interact with everyone in this game. Like, I don't think there's a person you miss. There's a, there's a thief who shows up at least two majorly relevant times in different side quests. And you can, like, yeah, you, chat with him when he's not doing that. It's so that. funny when you first do that quest and you think he's just an insignificant guy who's just out being a thief and then becomes a major character in a, one of the game's biggest side quests. You go, like, kudos to you guys for doing that. You could have just even made it some st- other character. Even the stupid guy who has a dual identity at the black market shop, is you actually, like, he has a relationship with a couple of other characters and you have to talk to him to find out some things. Yeah, but uh, it's 
very character driven, which is why I really like it. But Link's Awakening was pretty much my first Zelda game, so that kind of goes in hand in hand why I like this so much. But after you get to know the people, it's finally time to confront Majora's Mask and I mean that literally because the mask discards the skull, the uh, skull kid and just says, fuck it, I'm taking you on. I'll see you on the moon. You know, it's weird. He's Even though, you know, it's literally in the title, Majora's Mask still comes across as a giant flea out of basically out of nowhere. Well, it's because you don't think he's an actual entity. You just yeah, at this you point, think it's, it's just like the skull, skull kid being a dick. Power. Right. And then out of nowhere, it's like, ah. Uh, this thing can't do anything for me. All right, you and me on the moon, five minutes. And then the mask just goes away, and you go, what the hell? And then you get sucked in, into the green field with a gigantic tree that's inside the moon's mouth or something. No, we're not yeah, making that the up. Moon part no, is trippy as no explanation for it. <laughs> and then you play hide-and-seek with the kids in there that have the masks of the boss that also look like the happy mask salesman. And if you give them all your masks, then the last one wants to play another round of, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a it's Japanese version of hide go But yeah. in the Japanese version, it's like, own, it's like Oni or something. Yeah, it's like find the Oni or something. And he wants you to be the bad guy. Which goes into what the final mask is, is the Fierce Deities mask, or as it's called in the original, Kishin mask. Which Kishins are Fierce Deities yeah, if you it's want Tony to be... God, the gigantic... Oh. Yeah. And it turns out it's basically a slightly taller adult Link with a dual helix sword that shoots death lasers and stuff. Yeah, it's actually... of the uh, 3D sword themes. Yeah, yeah. It's the only Zelda game... Uh, the, the only 3D Zelda game that has sword beams. Uh, Skyward Sword does, but... Oh, have to do that and stupid thing for him. But yeah. Okay, clearly that changed. The first one, then. Yeah. Which is always one thing I miss from Ocarina of Time, which is, well, I guess I really like Majora's Mask. You just go around going, woohoo! Suck on it! Well, you can't really do that with the, uh, the Fierce Deities Mask. No, uh, you so, can't. You can launch those suckers at them. Well, well, here's the thing. like The, the, the Fierce de- Deity was actually coded to only fight bosses. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. Think. You can only fight bosses with the Fierce DD mask. That means everywhere else, mask doesn't work. Yeah, it only activates in boss rooms, and actually, if you hack the game to use it outside of boss rooms, uh, most enemies don't have damage, to damage detection from its sword beams. Mm-hmm. And I guess... I think in some places it actually soft locks the game. Yeah, if you try to enter certain places, it'll actually crash the game. Mm-hmm. Or talk, so. or talk to certain people because some people have different dialogue depending on your form. So if you're in a form mm-hmm. that they don't have dialogue for, but uh, then you destroy Majora's Mask because that's what you do. Hashtag alert warning. Well, <laughs> like, I'm not, destroy it. Well, here's the thing: the mask isn't destroyed. It just goes back to its. it's Regular. The power inside of it is destroyed. It's completely powerless. It's just a normal mask. The mask now. Like, or maybe that's... Or so the happy mask salesman says. Yeah, I'm like... Well, considering he disappears from everyone's sight, not even, like, over the horizon, <laughs> fades away, 
I'm assuming there's something to this guy. Well, obviously. Well, also, as a nice touch at the end of the game, you get a cutscene of all of the different bomber's notebook things that you've seen, basically. All of the different um, quests you've completed, you get to see that they're resolved well or not. So well, that's the whole point. point. Pushed if, all if, of your timelines together. If you get all 24 of the masks, you can trade them in and get the Fear Steady mask. That's how you get it. Well, all 23 of the masks. The Fear Steady X is the 24th. You get the Fear Steady's mask, and it's supposed to be a representation of all the people's hopes and dreams to destroy Majora's mask. Because going back to the whole Kishin thing, those are considered war gods, which fight for the people. So you are essentially a god character fighting an evil god character. Because makes that last fight way so much better. Yeah, honestly, it's sometimes a little bit less fun because you are ridiculously overpowered in that form. I think that's the whole point, is you're supposed to be ridiculously overpowered because it's literally all the hopes and dreams and love of the people in the land going to Majora's Mask. Hey, fuck you, pal. Yeah, you can fight the last boss without it. It is much harder. But this time, you don't punch him. You punch him with sword beams. Yes. And then Link just leaves and everyone has their festival and that's kind of it for this whole game. He even leaves and carves out a little note for the Skull Kid of him playing with him because he's friends with the Giants again. They won't rip him in half anymore. (laughs) But yeah, you get some really nice scenes of particularly that one really long side quest which is a couple who were supposed to get married but one of them got cursed and ran away and that takes all three days to complete and you have to do it at least twice damn is that one of the most beautiful side quests I've ever seen Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything in another game that can top that honestly Uh, if there is I'd like to see it I'm guessing you haven't done uh, that side quest yet no no, that's not till the very end, my friend. Yeah, I kind of figured. You do have to do it twice, though, because at the very end of it, you get a letter that proves that it's completed, basically, and you have to show it to one person to then get a mask and complete the side quest, but to someone else to get a piece of heart, but if you do that, you don't have time to show it to the first person. Yeah. Well, it works out either way. Mm-hmm. Alright, so final thoughts on Majora's Mask here. Honestly, my favorite. I don't think there's been a Zelda game that can really top it for me. I mean, there's been a lot, but I don't know. Majora's Mask kind of really hits me in that. I love this little story. Everybody just seems just so great and everything. I pretty I think it's my favorite two of the ones I've played, although I haven't played all of them. I don't think that Skyward Sword is going to top it, for example. Um, uh, I really like what they did with the... It feels much more than a lot of the games like a real world that you're interacting with rather than just a bunch of people standing around saying welcome to Corneria or whatever is appropriate. But well, that's, yeah, that's possible because, because that's of what... the condensed time frame. Yeah, that's why they made it like that, so you could see the townsfolk moving around and reacting appropriately, and it just makes it feel like someplace other than just going to Hyrule Marketplace and just have the same group of people arguing over a piece of lettuce. 
yeah, even stuff with like the weather changes. It always rains on the second day because it's, but it changes over time, and the music changes to sh- to show people getting more and more worried as the time goes by and the moon gets close because the moon is always visu- visibly if you just watch it you could just at the very beginning of the game just sit in the town square and watch the moon come down for like 72 hours of game time visibly get closer over time and that's really there's great adi- great attention to setting detail I think is the main thing all right, then. All right, uh, so that'll about do it for this installment of Franklin's Silicon. Uh, as far as I know, we're having MSP. Like, uh, Mac hasn't chimed in with any sudden cancellations, so uh, be sure to tune in, you know, right after this, about mm, 15, 30 minutes, and we'll be doing that. Not sh- I, I like. I know he has some convention stuff to talk about, but beyond that, I don't know his plans. Um, speaking of which, so next week is our season finale. Um, it, we've been going for about six months straight, so it's time to take a break. And indeed, though, before we go, we I, I suppose we have a full output output uh, going in the week ahead because. Um, we've got two reviews to do this week, uh, this weekend. You know, we've got a Friday multiplayer thing, um, that's connected to the reviews. Uh, you know, it's like this week we are reviewing a, um, game called Hero Defense. It's a, uh, it seems to be a Dungeon Defenders-esque, um, tower defense game, uh, multiplayer focus and all that. Um, you'll be seeing that on Friday. Um, is there any single player stuff I should do in that before then? I don't know. I haven't loaded up the game yet. I've, you know, E3 has really wrecked with my productivity on this shit. All right. Yeah. So, uh, and it's also, uh, we'll be reviewing that on Sunday, and we'll be interviewing uh, the developer of the game, Happy, Happy Tuesday Games, on Tuesday. Yeah, we got a Tuesday morning uh, interview going. Let's see, the other review on Sunday is uh, we're going to be reviewing a game called, or at least I'm going to be reviewing a game called Bridge Constructor, specifically the Trains DLC. (coughs) Um, This is, like, the actual uh, Bridge Constructor base game is about, ooh, three or four years old at this point, but for whatever reason, the uh, company, you know, uh, the developer decided to make some DLC for it, and they sent it to me. Like, they just sent it to me for a review. I, I didn't ask for this, but okay, uh, I'll review it. Uh, I've actually put a few hours, I put about four or five hours into it, you know, uh, you know playing the base game. Uh, it's like, you know, it, it's, not the, it's not exactly the game I was expecting, but more on that on uh, Sunday. And finally, for our season finale next Wednesday, we will be interviewing Alan Thong of Runic Games. Um, long-time listeners of the show will know that Runic Games was a frequent guest on the old MS, on MSP Classic. You know, back when this uh, segment was just a you know, segment there. 
Um, and, you know, we did, uh, you know, we talked about, like, uh, Torchlight and Torchlight 2 back in the day. You know, it's been about, oh, God, four or so years since we talked to them. But, you know, they, they've been busy on this new game, Aha. So, you know, they're finally returning, albeit with, you know, with a new representative. Like, uh, Alan Fong is somebody who hasn't been on the program yet. Either one. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I am also, you know, Vince, I am looking forward to the break. I am looking forward to actually playing some video games for the sake of, you know, playing them instead of for work. Mm -hmm. But but until until such time, I do wish you good gaming. 